Welcome to the Trinity Table Talk Podcast, a resource for Trinity Anglican Church out of Littleton, Colorado. It'll be the goal of this podcast to serve as a resource for theological education and spiritual reflection for all those who might listen. I'm Andrew Winnegar, and on this last episode of the season, we have Father Tim Suits and a very special guest, Bishop Ken Ross. Bishop Ross will be talking to us about the nature of Anglican church polity, the role of the clergy in the service of God's people, and the role of the laity to serve God throughout the world. Well, as we jump into this, I first want to express my gratitude to the listeners. This is the uh, the final episode of the season. You've joined us on a journey. Um, thank you for doing so. Tim and I have found it exciting. And on this episode, we have a very special guest. I love getting to say those words. We have Bishop Ken Ross with us to talk about church order and church polity. Um, so firstly, thank you, Bishop Ken. It's awesome to have you. No, it's good to be here. Um, well, let's jump into it. What are the different offices of the church and their different responsibilities? So I think in order to, I want to lay some foundations in order to jump into that question first, if that's all right. Um, there is a pattern that you find built into creation, right? You find it in, in Genesis that, that we all are responsible to and we're all responsible for. Um, I think that's that's part of what it is to be human, right? We all bear God's image. We're equal in God's sight. But there are places where of who we're responsible to and who we're responsible for. And um, so responsible to, ultimately, we're all responsible to God. Um, but they are, there are things underneath that, right? There are other systems or structures, like um, children are responsible to their parents, for example. There might be religious structures or, or civil structures that we are responsible to. Um, and then we are also uh, things that we're responsible for, like parents are responsible for their children. Um, so I think, first of all, having that understanding of, of everybody has a place where we're responsible to and we're responsible for. And there are uh, the understanding that um, that who we're responsible to and who we're responsible for, the authority that goes with that, it does uh, has nothing to do with value or importance. And I think that's... Mm-hmm. For me, that's a, a, a clear piece. Um, do you mind if I just take a moment and, and look at the responsible to piece or responsible for piece, just what we find in, in, in creation, just briefly? Yeah, please do. Okay. So if you look in the beginning, what it is um, to be living out the image of God, um, there are things that we are responsible for. And I would say we are responsible for worship, right? the worship of God, um, the worship to worship God's the most common command in all of Scripture, um, and we fail that re- responsibility in Genesis three. Right? We rebel against God, but we also are responsible for one another. Um, you certainly see that if you look at the the one another commands that you have in the New Testament, right? to love one another, honor one another, mm-hmm. submit to one another, all those pieces. Um, and certainly you can see uh, in Genesis three, um, Adam fails in that because he throws Eve under the bus. Um, when he blames her for, um, and then blames God, but you also see it in in Cain and Abel, right? The the failure of living out uh, responsible for one another. I would say um, also integral is the place of, of responsible for witness, 
We were meant to be his glory and presence in creation. And so you look at, at the commands that were given, like to fill, I mean, that is actually to be doing the work that God was doing of, of bringing life and beauty and goodness and flourishing and thriving. Um, and to subdue means there's opposition. So part of being responsible for being his witness or his presence in creation is that we're to be light in the darkness, right? We're to bring order out of chaos. Again, if we're made in his image, the things that he did in creation. Um, and we fail in that, right? And that's, um, and certainly we fail in that in our rebellion when we, instead of subduing the enemy, we give in to temptation, but we also fail at being a faithful witness, which eventually brings about the flood. I mean, the last thing is is responsible for creation, right? We are the um, to rule over not one another, but to, to exercise a stewardship over creation. And when we sin and rebel, um, then all of creation falls. So, if you think about um, that, all we are all meant to have responsibility um, for worship, all meant to have a responsibility for one another, uh, to be a, a faithful witness of God's presence and a responsibility for creation. Those were the things we found in the beginning. And I think those are still fundamentally the things that are true uh, that are required for the people of God. Mm. So it sounds like, um, correct me if you wouldn't use these words. It sounds like you're saying that there's a um, inherently hierarchical structure to creation. Absolutely. Yeah. And and in, and again, if we understand that hierarchy doesn't mean importance, right? Mm. If we think of, of um, responsibility, like res uh, things we're responsible for, there are three components that I would say that, that make for that to be healthy or good. And um, one is authority, right? That you actually have the right to do something. Uh, the second would be power. You have the ability to do something. And the third would be character, how you do that. Um, and you need all three, because if you have authority to do something, but you don't have the power to do it, then you're just ineffective. If you have the power to do something, but you don't have the authority to do it, then you could say that's illegal. Um, and if you have power and authority, but you don't have character, then it's actually abusive, right? So if you look at being responsible for, there is an authority that goes with that. There should be a power that comes with that to do that. And there's a character that shapes how that's done. So how do you see this hierarchy working itself out in the church, in the church offices? Yeah. So again, it, for me, it's helpful to look at um, everybody has a responsibility to and a responsibility for. And within that, there are structures that God establishes to help us live that out well. So um, generally, you look at there are three ordained clergy offices in the church, right? Deacon, priest, and bishop. But I want to say that there are four ordained orders, right? and, and so the primary mm -hmm. one is um, the people of God, that we are first and foremost a kingdom priest, which is why we approach confirmation as an ordination service, um, so that, that if we look at the primary thing that we are as the people of God, the, a kingdom of priests, that's going to continue in the new creation, that we are those who are responsible to God in that. And the things that we talked about, about being responsible for, of, of worship and one another and, and creation and um, all those pieces are things that are actually, we're all to carry, 
right? We're all meant to be those who are to be faithful witnesses and to subdue. The reason I want to start there is that the role of the ordained offices of deacon and um, priest and bishop is to equip and empower the people of God to live out their call. So there is an authority that is given, but authority is to empower and to equip for the people to live out who God has rescued them to be and to equip them for service, right? to walk in the gifts that he has given. Um, because God gives spiritual gifts to each one of us, and there are things that God has prepared in advance for each one of us to do. Um, so the offices are meant to empower us to live faithfully um, in, in who we're responsible to and and what we're responsible for. Hmm. Your your best friend, Bishop Thad Barnum, he was a guest on this show uh, with us uh, a, a little ways back, and he talked to me a, a bit about the influence of Reverend Terry Fulham upon mm -hmm. you and him on this very topic. And he would talk about Ephesians chapter four, that often, you know, the view is that the off that the lady is for the offices, right? That the lady is there to serve the priests and the pastors. But when you actually look at Ephesians chapter four, you see that all of the, the work of the offices of the church are for the equipping of the saints. And yeah. that's particularly where you two were formed was under the leadership of Terry Fulham. Would you talk a little bit more about that, about that important role of just how central equipping the laity is, equipping God's people, and, and that being really the focus of, of pastoral ministry? So, yeah. Um, actually, it's this is what makes the church the church. I, mean, this, I think this is the biblical pattern of what the church is, is that it is the people of God living out who we are and doing what he's given us to do. Um, when we move into a place where we think that um, that the, the, the laity exists for the clergy, it's just backwards. And it, um, it, it actually, we lose what it is to be the church because you don't want to be a place where um, the minister ministers and the congregation congregates. Um, the church is not to be, um, you've got two or three um, leaders, two or three who are engaged in ministry, and everybody else just receives the benefits of that, that we're all to be engaged in ministry, right? There's no such thing as a secular job. Um, so everything we do is to be an expression of who we are as those who've been made children of God, but also to be living out our call to be his kingdom presence in this world. And I can tell you, Tim, I would much rather have a church with 300 ministers than a church with two or three and, you know, 295 people who watch them. Hmm. It's going to be much more effective. Yeah. Hmm. So can you then go into how each office uniquely functions to serve God's people and to serve God? So first yeah. let's start with, maybe let's start with the deacon. Okay. What is the deacon's role in serving God's people and serving our Lord? So I would say if I were going to look at it and, and encapsulate it in one concept, is that the role of the deacon is to lead the people of God to be more like Jesus, because Jesus is actually the first deacon. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Mm. So that we are to be a people who are marked by, we're not here to be served, we're actually here to serve. 
And, and so the deacon is meant to um, empower and equip and encourage this kind of leadership among all the people of God, the, a leadership that is seeking to serve and not be served. Um, so is they that are, why the deacon in particular takes center stage on Monday, Thursday? So at our church, we always have our deacon preach. Carrie preaches that Sunday and then, or that Thursday, not Sunday, it's that Thursday. And then it's that beautiful image of Christ washing his disciples' feet and instituting this meal that he serves his people in the sacrament. Is, is that why the deacon takes center stage on Monday, Thursday? I think it can be a reason why you do that, right? Because, yeah, Jesus washing the disciples' feet is the, the picture of the diaconate. That's what we're all called to do. And he says, go and do likewise. Um, it's why the deacon sets the table um, on Sunday. It's not just the act of serving so that other people can do things. It's it's the recognition the deacon is actually um, in their serving as part of that invitation. If you're if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, come and eat and drink. Um, that um, that place of pouring out and serving for others. It's why they read the gospel, right? Because the gospel is this picture of Jesus coming to serve us, right? Becoming one of us to rescue us, coming into our midst. And so the deacon brings the gospel into the midst as this picture of who Jesus is, which is meant to be a picture of of who all of us are. Mm -hmm. Is so here's here's the uh, here's a question I think people who are newer to Anglicanism have because maybe you've experienced this in like a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church. It's that the deacon are people that just don't quite make it as priests, so we put them as deacons. <laughs> Would you correct that thinking for us, Ken? Yeah, you know what I can say is unfortunately there was a period of the church where that was true. But um, historically, that wasn't true. And there's been really a movement in the last at least 100 years, maybe longer, to recapture um, the diaconate. Certainly, if Jesus is the first deacon and the model for the deacon, you wouldn't say, well, it's really for people who can't quite um, mm -hmm. hack it as priests. Mm -hmm. it, it actually is the primary um, order after you hit, you know, we are all the people of God, we're all the laity, right? It's why all of us were ordained a deacon first before we were ordained a priest or before we were ordained. Uh, a consecrated bishop, because we're all meant to serve in our offices, right? It's about that place of serving, so we're always a deacon. So the, the diaconate is um, a separate order, right? It's not a suborder. It's not less important. It's just a separate and um, an equal order, but they have different functions, um, and and how they function in the church is different, and what their leadership for is different. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm always struck by Acts chapter six, that it's structured service. It is. You notice in Acts chapter six, like the, um, the preachers, the priests, right? We're led to believe they're busy preaching the word, ministering to God's people and people are falling through the cracks. And yeah. like the church doesn't let people fall through the cracks. Like yeah. We don't do that as a people. And so an office had to be formed to say, we need people that can bring structured, thoughtful minds and skill to service to make sure people don't fall through the cracks. And I think that's a key piece because um, what that means is that it's not just you find the person who wants to serve and you make them a deacon and all they do is serve, but actually it's meant to be generative, right? It, it actually is to raise other people into service. Yes creating those things so that people don't fall through the cracks. And it's interesting, right, that that's, that's 
defining of what a deacon is. And yet also you have, right, one of the first martyrs is a deacon who preaches the word and is killed, right? So there's a, there's a there can be an expansiveness, would it just be a deacon? But that is a central piece that's always there. Yeah, the first deacon preached such a good sermon, they killed him for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of preaching, now let's move on to the priesthood. Um, and how did we come to that word priesthood? Because I think that is also for many people that can be a hang up, but for, but just tell us what is a priest? Uh, what do they do? Where do we come up with that word? Where does their th authority begin and where does it end? So, um, priest, right. If you think of, of elder, um, presbyter, presbyteros, priest, I mean, priest is actually just a, a, a Anglicized form, uh, English form of presbyter. Um, that developed. So uh, if, if you, whatever context you come out of, right, it, it, it carries that, that sense. Some use the word priest because it, of the connection to the Old Testament as well. Um, and if you, if you think about the role of a presbyter or a priest, um, if a deacon is to help the people of God step into who they are as those who um, are meant to serve, um, I, I, the overarching theme I would give for a priest or a presbyter is that their work is to help us step into who we are as a kingdom of priests. Um, so there's a there's a leadership and a shepherding role in doing that, and that leadership and shepherding role is is marked by word and sacrament. Um, the primacy is proclamation, mm -hmm. right? That the the thing that marks the priesthood or the presbyterate is the proclamation of the gospel. Um, so if somebody thinks they're called to that office and they don't feel called to proclamation, then they're not called to the office. It is, uh, there is a primacy and the church is built on the proclamation of the gospel. Hmm. Um, there's a shepherding role that's there, right? And that's, that's caring for, that's encouraging, that's rebuking um, and correcting where that's needed, doing it in love, but still the necessity of doing that. That's not as popular in our day. Um, and there's the place of, of leading the congregation, right, to know Jesus more fully, but also leading them into mission. And that marks uh, what a presbyter does. That's the raising up and equipping. So there's a discipling piece that marks it, that we grow in grace, we grow in the likeness of Jesus. There's also the mission part of it, right, that we are, we are meant to be a kingdom presence. We are his witnesses. We are not just the holy huddle. We're meant to be um, God's presence in the world to bring others into the kingdom. And the priest has the role of helping lead people in that work as well. Mm -hmm. I love that image. I remember, um, I remember you saying at Synod, clericalism is from the pits of hell. And then I was like, yeah, that's my bishop. Um, <laughs> but I love that image of, of, the deacon and priest have these ordained specific offices for the service of the church um, that it, it emphasizes as I'm processing, it emphasizes this point that uh, in our church, it's not Tim, it's not Kyle, it's not Carrie who are the primary um, uh, workers of the gospel. It's the church. Yeah. And Kyle, Tim and Carrie are there to serve the church. Um, with that in mind, what, what is the, how would you articulate the role of a bishop? In one sense, you could say the, the role of a bishop is similar to the role of a priest, but my congregation is the diocese. Hmm. Um, so 
I'm, I'm to be the pastor to the pastor. So there's a shepherding certainly for the pastors. Um, and in some of the ways I'm going to talk about are, are actually part of what a priest is. I'm just, I'm laying it out a little differently. Um, I'm responsible to make sure that there's right doctrine in the church, right? That there's not false teaching, that, that the clergy and the churches are being true to the word of God. And certainly my role in, in ordinations and confirmations um, are part of that. You want to make sure people have the right foundations, the right document, uh, doctrine. Um, certainly there's a teaching and preaching role that bishops have in that as well. Um, and and holding accountable to the word of God. So responsible for doctrine, responsible for discipline, which is actually part of what a, um, a rector or a, a presbyter's role is as well, right? That's part of the correcting and rebuking. So if if somebody deviates and they refuse correction, then there's discipline. And that's part of defending the faith, right? And holding people accountable to right doctrine and right action. Um, but that's also the place of, of understanding that discipline is about encouraging people, right? It's not punitive, it's uh, to be restorative. Um, so part of my role is that role of accountability, right? We're not just independent churches who get to do their own thing. And, and I can step in and resolve problems that the local church isn't able to resolve on their own. Um, and then direction, um, wanting to help equip, empower, to make sure that our churches have gospel priorities, um, that the church is mobilized for the gospel, um, that people are really being raised up to bring the gospel of Jesus to others. And so it's that empowering, equipping. So the, in one sense, I'm saying in a different way what the role of a presbyter is, but it's just that my, uh, my congregation is the diocese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is that like a good framework, what you mentioned there of uh, discipline and correction to understand the unique authority of a rector over their church? Um, that it's, it is service for, um, but the rector is the one who decides the vision. The rector is the one who calls a lot of the shots. Um, yeah. How, yeah, I tell would me say, more about the authority. Yeah. So I would say that... Um, so the the rector, and and this is I'm talking about a rector, the the lead pastor of a church, which is different than just being a priest, right? Because a priest in a church only has authority if the rector gives it to him. Right? That that our structures are the places where um, where authority is given, right? So I, as a bishop, I have the ability to ordain people. I only have the authority to ordain because I'm the diocesan bishop. If I retire, I have no authority to ordain anybody. I have the ability if I do it under somebody else's authority. So Tim, as the rector, holds the spiritual authority for Trinity, for the church, and then he can delegate that. Um, and the other piece is understanding that that he can invite people into that without abdicating it. So certainly, if he holds a spiritual authority, there's a place where he has a responsibility for the vision for the church, but it's also recognizing God speaks to his people through his people, and he can invite people, he should invite people into that conversation to help him discern, but that's not abdicating his authority. Um, if you look at um, the sense of, of discipline, right, that is that is under the rector's authority, um, but to understand that, that um, 
right? Discipline is not punitive, it's restorative, that the context is not the courtroom, but the family, right? And, and so if you are doing something within a family, right, sometimes you're involving other people into it. And maybe the family is a, a good picture, right? So if you look at, um, um, if you look at Miles, right, one of the things you want to see is you want, you want Miles to grow and flourish fully into who God has made him to be. And, and that means that there are things that you correct him about, right? Um, you tell him, don't go run into the busy street. And if he wants to run into the busy street, then you pull him back and you correct. And if he continues, then you have to bring discipline, right? There might be a punishment, but that punishment isn't punitive. You're trying to move him towards life. Okay. So that, that picture is, I think, is the thing that should be defining. Even if we look at discipline, it's restorative. It's about... It's not about asserting my authority. Um, it's about bringing life and care and protection to, to others. Hmm. That's a good word, Ken. I think that those are all really helpful, Ken. I think that in today's world, in my experience, right now we're in this interesting point in American Christianity where we have all of these examples of really bad leadership. And leave it to American Christians to take all the wrong, uh, come to all the wrong conclusions on the back end of it. But here's my concern is because people have been hurt by the church, because the megachurch has caused so much harm, now any form of spiritual authority is viewed with suspicion. So how would you differentiate healthy spiritual authority from a toxic sense of spiritual abuse. Boy, that's a that's a good and deep question. So what differentiates? There are, there are probably a number of lenses. I'll do one lens, which you mentioned a little bit um, earlier, Andrew, and that is um, clericalism. Um, so we are called to honor those who are in authority over us. That is actually a biblical thing. Um, and there are categories that God gives, right, of human government, or of, of the church, of the home. Um, and there is a sense of as we honor those who are in authority over us, we're also honoring God in that. But we have to remember that that honoring doesn't mean that somebody's more important or they have more value. Again, that, that picture of the Trinity. Or that they're always right. Or that they're always right. Absolutely. Um, and we're actually called to honor all people, right? And we're supposed to, I think Romans 12 says, we're to try to outdo one another in, in honoring others, uh, understanding that dishonoring others dishonors God. Um, so one of the toxic things that can happen is when authority is used to say, I'm important and I'm always right. And you always have to do what I say without question. Again, that that sense of I'm actually not responsible to anybody. Um, I'm just responsible for. Um, and so if we confuse um, sense of importance or value or identity or ability um, with authority or honor, then we end up in, in things that are toxic. Um, so, and maybe... Um, there's a difference, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this, there's a difference between standing in the authority you have um, without needing to feel like you've got to defend or prove yourself or exert it to show you're the boss, um, and um, 
trying to force your authority, right? Um, so things get toxic when our sense of identity is wrapped up in our authority. So there certainly is that piece where then, um, yeah, the, the leadership is actually more about me and how important I am. Uh, and so when you have that kind of structure system, certainly celebrity pastors can fall prey to that, but there's no system of church governance or polity that is immune to this. No. No. Um, that sin will be um, there anywhere. Mm -hmm. In any structure, you're going to find clergy demanding that they be honored. <laughs> you're going to find that there are going to be those who are just overemphasizing their training and their expertise. Um, that they're going to not have systems of accountability so they can um, just exert their authority. I would say something, you can always cut this out, right? I think that the other piece where we open ourselves to abuse actually is how we approach what it is to be the church, right? If if we think church in the sense of a uh, we're a consumer and all I'm here for is to get and be given the things that bless me and make me feel good, um, then any kind of correction, any kind of of loving rebuke is going to feel like it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a great place to end this episode. Um, thank you again, Bishop Ken. And, and thank you to both of you for exercising that spiritual authority. I know um, with just how the thing, how the, the way things have played out, I think there have been times where I have felt that, that frustration of a desire um, but then spiritual authority saying like, no, actually this thing over here is much better. Um, and then going that direction and finding that to be exactly true. Um, so thank you. I, many of us have been blessed by it. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We hope to see you in the next one. For more resources or information about Trinity Anglican Church, please visit trinitylittleton.com.